Says, get that India, big boy. Welcome back to another episode of the Tip Sheet, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John, aka Forty Twenty. Joining me, as always, is my good mate Sixties. How you doing, champ? Really good, mate, and uh, really looking forward to this podcast. Yeah, we've got another action-packed itinerary for the second episode of the 2021 season. So uh, we've got a, a special guest feature coming up immediately, followed by all the action from round one of the junior reps, and we'll do some uh, round-the-grounds for training and whatnot of all the sort of uh, groundskeeping work for TCT that we've been doing. So without further ado, uh, let's introduce our special guest, and I'll let you do the honours, mate. Just over 12 months ago, the long process towards constitutional reform at Parramatta Leagues Club was finalised. For Eels supporters, this was, as, as, this was important as the Leagues Club are the owners of the Parramatta Eels football operation and their continued support of the Eels and its juniors are part of that constitution. But man, that 2020 year, I don't know if we could have foreseen what the newly appointed board would have had to face in that first 12 months. So, to talk us through what's happened and what's planned, we're pleased to be joined by the president of the Parramatta Leagues Club, Greg Monaghan. Thanks for joining us, Greg. My pleasure, Craig. It's great to be here. And may I say, I'm a big fan of the Cumberland Throw. You do a great job. Oh, thanks for that, mate. I appreciate that. Uh, look, we do want to talk some footy with you, Greg. And I know you're, uh, you're quite a footy head when it comes to the Parramatta Eels. Uh, but before we get to that, the uh, 2020... Uh, Paramount Leagues Club annual report's just been released. And to be honest, there's a few items I wanted to talk about. So um, firstly, let's go back to early earlier last year and we've just had that new board appointed and then COVID hits and we're, the club's forced to shut down for around 10 weeks. But as I've read it, you've actually returned an annual profit, which is comparable to the previous financial year. How was that achieved? Well, yeah, you, you're right on the money when you talk about uh, a baptism of fire for a, a new board. We uh, were only in the job for a couple of weeks when COVID hit and all of a sudden the club's closed down, the footy club's not playing. And in the circumstances, I think it's been a fabulous result to be able to turn a surplus. I don't like to call it a profit because we're a not-for-profit. All the money that we make at Parramatta Leagues Club goes back to footy and to the community, as you know. So, um, but just the same, to be in the black is a fabulous result. And I do put it down to uh, a few um, particular things. First of all, you mentioned the new board. The new directors are all independent people. None of us really knew each other before we were on the board. We're all appointed by an independent person after an exhaustive process to select the best people. And really, we've got a terrific group of all highly skilled individuals, professionals in their own right, no faction fighting, no uh, infighting, uh, all just got on with the job. Uh, and I must say, in my own case and a couple of the others, I'm very glad that I'm retired because I can put the club first and spend the time necessary. Uh, it, it's a really demanding 12 months that we've been through. Uh, look, the second thing I'd like to say is that our staff, you can't put a price on great people. 
and our, our staff at Paraleagues are tremendous. I was at Paraleagues when we reopened after those 10 weeks. And I can tell you there was a, a, a queue of people waiting to come in and the smiles on their faces uh, really tells you something about how pleased they are to be back. I was over at Vikings just about an hour later. And uh, as the people walked up the steps, they're all calling out to Julie there in Vikings and uh, laughing and happy to be back. Uh, and, uh, you know, to see those people come up the stairs there and, uh, and be welcomed by our staff was, uh, was really great. Our staff did all the things that they needed to do during COVID. And don't forget COVID's not over. We're going to have to live with that for some time yet. But uh, our staff, with all their deep cleaning, they had to wear masks, the sanitizer, all the things that they had to do to keep members safe. They made members feel safe and uh, made it a really welcoming environment for people to come back. Uh, one of the things I just mentioned in passing is that uh, we're very proud that as a board, we're very proud that uh, no staff member had to be retrenched uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, that's something that a lot of clubs can't say. And uh, when we've got great people, uh, we wanted to make sure we kept them all. Uh, the third thing I'd just like to mention is our members. They enjoyed coming back to our clubs, as I said. Uh, if they hadn't come back, if they hadn't felt safe, if they hadn't come back to enjoy the services that were able to keep open, uh, we wouldn't have been able to come out in the black. Uh, and the last thing I'd just like to mention, which was really also a very key result, what a year the footy club had. To be able to finish in the top four with such a disrupted season, uh, what, what a great result. But also off the field, how well were they managed? Uh, terrific ma management by Jim Sarantinos and his team and by Sean McElduff and his board. And what great support they got from the Eels members, even though they couldn't all attend the matches, uh, even though the sponsors didn't get the value that they probably thought, they stuck by the club and they enabled the uh, footy club to turn in a good financial result as well, which meant that uh, it, it, the Leagues Club did not have to uh, provide the support that it would have done in previous years. So really a few good things. I think the board, the staff, the members and the footy club all worked together so well to achieve that result. Sorry, that's a long answer, Craig, but <laughs> it was a lot to it. That's yeah, all right. Look, and it's, I'm glad you mentioned that too about the um, the members that uh, pledged as well. And, and, and I'm just going to jump in with this just before we get into the next question that I... Obviously, there's a lot of people that we know and we're associated with that, that pledged the membership uh, along with the people in the Cumberland Throw. But I know of people who have captain's club memberships for the family. And we're talking about thousands of dollars of memberships that they pledged. It was quite extraordinary what, what some people were prepared to do for the love of the club. Yeah, that's 100%. And look, without that support... I know the footy club couldn't have achieved what it achieved, and that has that spin-off benefit to the Leagues Club, as I mentioned, because the Leagues Club uh, didn't have to put in as much as it had done in the, in the bad years in the past. Yeah, yep. So, uh, Greg, when COVID-19 first hit, understandably there was plenty of doom and gloom in the rugby league community, or even communities if you want to spread it across. Um, the futures of the NRL clubs that are financially supported by the Leagues Clubs were called into question, especially if clubs potentially been unable to trade for an unknown extended period, which ended up being that 10 weeks that you mentioned. Um, can you talk us through the Paralegs' response to the entire COVID-19 issue? I mean, you already mentioned the fact that they didn't have to retrench any staff, which was fantastic. But can you sort of just dive into that for us? 
Sure. Well, I can tell you it was all hands to the pump because uh, we really didn't know what was going to happen. As you mentioned, John, the Prime Minister, when he first announced the changes, indicated that it would be at least six, six months before uh, we'd be able to reopen. So we were looking at being closed for six months. As it turned out, it was only 10 weeks, but, uh, which was tremendous, but, but you know, we were looking down the barrel. So we needed to make sure we had enough cash for the club to survive and to be able to keep supporting the Eels, obviously priority one. So uh, straight to the bank for emergency lines of credit. Now, that was a pretty gruelling process because you can imagine that uh, every other company mm -hmm. in the country was rushing out to their bank to see if they had enough money to carry them through as well. But uh, we were well supported by our, our bank, the National Bank. We were successful in getting emergency lines of credit. And thankfully, we didn't need them. Uh, for the reasons that I just mentioned before, uh, we were able to uh, reopen after 10 weeks and continue trading. Uh, albeit with social distancing, caps on numbers, some of the restaurants closed, kicks closed, every second poker machine off, all those sorts of restrictions. And hats off to the staff because, you know, like every other business, like the footy club, we didn't know what was going to be happening the next day in terms of new rule changes and, and new regulations. And they had to be really fast on their feet. So uh, every day it was another report coming out from the Prime Minister or from the Premier, uh, clubs, New South Wales updates and so on, changes, people rushing around, moving things, cleaning things. So it was a really, really uh, a tough job for the staff and for the board and the directors to be able to um, to get through that. But, uh, you know, we've, I think we've really proved what a great staff we have and what a good team of directors. Uh, agility is well a, a buzzword that I get thrown around on corporate circles for you know, uh, companies that can sort of stay off the times and whatnot, but that's a whole new level of agility, isn't it? With the sort of hoops and laws you've got to jump through to stay oper operative after all the COVID restrictions. Absolutely. Now, on a personal note uh, for the TCT, for come on throw, we recently presented a story uh, on the Parramatta League's Police Rugby League Club, which is a mouthful, but we, we're happy to get that one right. Um, they were the beneficiary of a club grant and have been the beneficiary for a couple of years, I believe. Were community grants impacted by COVID-19? Well, one of the things that we're really pleased to say that is that uh, the club was still able to contribute $800,000 towards community and, and a big chunk of that, of course, goes to Junior Rugby League. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's slightly down on previous years, but 800000 is still a great contribution, I think we all agree. And there was also some additional contributions that weren't all in cash that we were able to provide. One of the things I'd call out is that we were able to provide COVID packs of sanitizer and so on to junior uh, rugby league clubs that all needed them to be able to play and train. And uh, that was an initiative driven by one of our directors, Phil Sim, which was, uh, I think, really pleasing. We were also able to donate food to the Parramatta Mission, sanitizer to Northcott. We made welfare checks to members. We delivered care packs to some members that that uh, would benefit. So there's a lot of great stuff. Um, I guess uh, it, it's worth pointing out that the Leagues Club doesn't run the football club. They've got their own organisation, as I mentioned that before, with Sean McElduff and uh, Jim Sarantinos leading that. So a big part of the reason for us being involved with the Leagues Club is that contribution to the community. And uh, it's really pleasing that we're able to provide that level of contribution 
even in such a difficult year. Oh, that's fantastic to hear, Greg. Um, if I can just jump in here now, the, on a personal note, I was reading through the um, annual report and I got to the pages where it talks about the club's values and strategic plan and there was a statement in there that um, resonated with me and I, I'd just like to take a moment just to read it out just before I throw over to you on this, Greg. It read, our club is intrinsically linked with the Parramatta Reels. Our community includes the Parramatta District Junior Rugby League catchment area and those who engage with our brand, community groups and sporting teams. Um, what's the thinking behind having a statement like that for Parramatta Leagues Club? Well, what are we here for, Greg? That, that's the question, isn't it? Back in yeah. the 1950s, uh, when the club was first set up, it was here for the footy and for the community, and it still is. Um, the Eels and Para are pretty powerful brands. Uh, I think everyone uh, would agree with that. Uh, you yeah. have to ask yourself, why do people come to Para and not go to one of their other many options uh, for clubs and for other entertainment? It, it's our brand and our purpose. So when we look around, uh, there's clubs that are hell-bent on, you know, for example, amalgamating with anything that moves anywhere in the state. You know, There's clubs that own clubs uh, out in the bush and up on the north coast and south coast. It's purely commercial reasons. That's not us. That's not what we're here for. And what we make that statement for in, in our um, annual report, and it's in our new strategic plan as one of the cornerstones, we're here for our community. And our community is really important to us in relation to the Parramatta footy catchment area and the surrounding areas. So we're here for Para, uh, we're here for the Eels, and that is exactly what we're here for. We're not here for any other reason. And um, so that's an important statement to be called out. Craig, thanks for doing it. Yeah, no, no dramas. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that we're passionate about is the is the Parramatta community. So, yeah, it really resonated with me. In our recent times, Greg, we've seen the club make some massive strides in terms of infrastructure. We've got the uh, massive car park that helps members and visitors uh, come to the club and, and find uh, great location parking. We've seen huge strides constitutionally, which is, you know, secure the future of the club. Can you talk about what is now in the future plans for the PLC? Yes, uh, pleased to. Um, the future is pretty bright, I think. You know, uh, with the uh, Eels, with a strong squad that they've got, I think they're going to be uh, really a strong force for some years to come. And uh, with their um, structure off the field now, uh, they're really performing well off the field and enabling themselves to be getting closer and closer to self-sufficiency, which is which is tremendous. Um, for the leagues club, you know, I mentioned the loyalty of our members, um, but we need to give loyalty back and we want to do that by providing the services to members that they really want. During the year, we, uh, as part of our strategic planning process, we did a detailed member survey and we, we got thousands of uh, uh, solid responses there, which was really pleasing. And some of the things that members really want are uh, around the social side of the club, providing good places for them to uh, meet, eat and uh, have a glass and uh, to be able to, to see the club up to modern standards. So what we are aiming to do, first of all, we've, we finished off repairing the club uh, just around Christmas time this year. There was some um, damage done by a storm a couple of years ago and, uh, and so we were able to 
to get that repaired. So the outside of the club again is looking looking good. Um, we're working on uh, projects to expand the places where members can sit and eat and drink. Uh, firstly, we're looking at an alfresco area in Eels Lane, um, which was open on game days last year. That'll be enlarged and, uh, and made a permanent part of the club. Uh, we're looking at and hoping, hoping that we're successful in a submission to uh, gain access to what we call the Northern Development Site. That's that site with blue mesh around it between the club and Bank West. And we really want to build uh, a new environment there for members. Uh, and we're looking at a number of other opportunities we want to refresh within the club, uh, do up our dining areas, uh, refresh our gaming areas. Uh, and similarly at Vikings, um, it's important to us to be able to um, maintain that and bring that up to uh, standards. So there's a number of other expansion opportunities that we're considering, but they're probably the main ones straight away. We're in the fortunate position that we're right there next to Bank West Stadium uh, with the Leagues Club. At Vikings, we're right in the heart of that community. And uh, we think we're well placed to be able to develop that and meet those member requirements that they identified in the survey. Of course, the, the, there was no surprises in that survey to the directors, I have to say. Um, I'm not sure if you, you would have noticed, but uh, between between us, uh, we have 104 years of membership of the uh, Leagues Club, continuous membership, that is. And uh, so we, we are members that, uh, you know, we matched up very much with what the members were telling us through the survey. It was nothing there that we, we didn't expect. So we were uh, right on board with, with where the members want to head. It's interesting that you say that too, Greg, because I filled in that survey and when one of the, um, amongst the number of things that I was looking at, um, the facade of the club was um, one of the inclusions that I put in things that I'd like to see happen. And, uh, when that was pretty uh, rapidly acted upon, I must say I, I was thinking, oh, oh, this is good, you know, like, um, yeah, I, I, I thought to myself, it's it's great when you put the time in to answer um, what we like, that it's acted upon pretty rapidly. So, yeah, I was really, I must say, just on a personal note, I was really, I was really happy with that. And um, I, I go back, I'm an old timer. I go back a bit. I've been, a, uh, apart from a period of about a month or two back, maybe in the 90s, where I forgot to renew my membership. I've actually been a member since 1979. And I worked at the club when I was at uni. So the club actually helped me to get through uni. I did a bit of part-time work as a barman. So I've always felt that strong connection to the club. So yeah, it was good to get that, um, to feel as if... Uh, to know that the club was interested, I suppose, not feel, but to know the club was interested, that it was, we got that quick response on um, on that survey. So thanks for that. And now, I did say before we have to talk some Parramatta because we've had our conversations up there, up there watching training at Kellyville, you and I, mate. So I, I know how passionate you are about the team. How do you think we're going to perform this year? Oh, look, I think we've got a strong squad, haven't we? And, uh, and I think... You know, we'll be very disappointed if we uh, don't get into the finals territory this year. I think we've great chance of uh, being top four again. If you keep making that top end of the table and putting yourselves in a position, um, once you get into finals, anything can happen. I think we've got a few 
challenges, of course. I think Jennings is going to be hard to replace. And some of the other sides that uh, uh, were in the bubble last year, I think they might find it a bit easier for them. So I think, you know, teams like Canberra, for example, might uh, step up to another level when they uh, haven't got quite the same restrictions. Uh, we won't have quite as many games at Bank West as we had last year. But I'm I'm very confident about uh, our future, and I think you know we've got a strong pack. We've got uh, some some tremendous young talent coming through, and uh, I think everyone should be pretty optimistic that we're going to have another good year. I, I think um, I'm pretty sure the ambitions are uh, aiming for a top four repeat, and hopefully that um, that that comes to fruition you never know what a rugby league season holds in in store with um whether it be injuries or when you play another team and whether they're in form when you play them and all that sort of stuff but even the uh, mid-season acquisitions now on they're just it's crazy what the market does so teams can change not just the Parramatta Eagles but your opposition can change so quickly in terms of complexion quite right well, I mean, we had out of our spine last year, we had Reed Barney, Moses and Dylan Brown were all out for lengthy periods last year. If we can keep them all on the paddock, and it's a big if, I know. And, uh, and Gutho, of course, they're pretty important players. Uh, yeah. If, if we can keep them on the paddock, it'll be tremendous. Yeah, keeping them healthy, that's that's a big part of it. Uh, now, uh, Greg, finally, uh, the uh, AGMs going to happen on the 21st of March and that's going to be soon upon us and then you know it only feels like yesterday we were battling for constitutional reform but the first of the <laughs> triennial elections are going to kick off and yourself and Sue Coleman are going to be retiring and then nominating for re-election by the members we know what outcome we'd like but of course the main message that we'd like to get across is we want members to avoid complacency and to vote because that's a, a big part of the uh, of what we wanted to achieve at the club is to give get more members to vote. Um, can you take us through how easy that voting process will be? Yes, well, this will be the first year where uh, voting will be completely electronic and postal. So next week, members will start to get the voting papers and uh, the It'll be as easy as uh, either filling in the paper form or going online if, you, if you've got uh, the computer literacy to do that, which most people have these days, of course. But uh, just go online and tick the boxes and, uh, and then your vote will be recorded. So that was one of the major reforms of the Constitution that um, rather than you know, rely on 100 or 150 people that might turn up at an AGM physically, and uh, that, of course, was the, the structure that enable all the faction uh, fighting that, that took on back in the bad old days. Uh, now, um, it's going to be so easy for members to vote. You just go online and uh, or post in your vote, and that enables all the members to be able to vote at their leisure. Uh, and that's very important so that all members get a say rather than just the handful that turn up at uh, the AGM. All right, I think that just about wraps us up here. Thanks for joining myself and 60s at TCT, Greg. Um, it means a lot to have, uh, once again, such a, a knowledgeable presence uh, join us and, and sort of have a chat about not just the Parramatta Eels, but the PLC. Um, now, to any members listening, make sure you vote. And, of course, go to Parramatta Eels. Thanks, John and Craig, and well done the Cumberland throw. Thanks, Greg. Cheers, Greg.
Now let's get back to the on-field news for the Parramatta Reels. Um, been a bit of training happening and for all those sort of things, we're going to throw it over to the 60s. Yes, mate, there's been a bit to talk about it, training in the last eight days that since the previous podcast. A couple of big opposed sessions and a few things that uh, happened in those opposed sessions that's worth passing on. I know it's been mentioned in uh, the training reports for those that follow it, but it uh, makes it a little bit easier for me to talk about it rather than just to type it up. So last Friday and again on Thursday this week, there was a couple of big uh, full contact opposed sessions and the Eels uh, boys, they, they're donning the jerseys, the home jersey, the white alternate jersey, and they have been ripping in in those sessions. It's really not a place for the faint-hearted because the contact has probably been pretty close to full NRL standard contact. And uh, first of all, last Friday, that was really one that Oregon Kafusi absolutely owned. I don't know whether he was on the angry pills or whatever the case may be, but he was ripping in carrying the ball. He was ripping in in defence. He was easily, last Friday, the most dominant forward out on the field. And that's a really good pointer to where his headspace must be at coming into uh, this uh, start of the competition. And I think he's really laid down the gauntlet to Brad Arthur, basically saying, I'm, I'm ready. I'm giving you everything that I've got out in the training paddock. Pick me. And it's hugely, so, enc- hugely encouraging because Oregon's been a player that we've, you know, uh, been very keen to see develop in the last couple of years because we've seen the potential he has as a young prospect. And, um, you know, and to be honest, props for a position where we're a little bit light um, after releasing Danny Alvaro to the Dragons. We've got obviously a couple of amazing bookends starting in Junior and Reg. Um, and Murata's, you know, come on in leaps and bounds and is, you know, a genuine star in the NRL now in terms of middle forward. But after that, it can, we've got a lot of good recruits, but in terms of just, you know, out and out prop forwards, it's a little bit skinny. So seeing Oregon uh, staking his claim is, you know, really, really good. Yeah, and to be fair as well, he's had a he's had a pretty decent preseason. He's in terrific shape. Conditioning wise, he's been ripping in the entire preseason. But that was uh, in a in a contest that was probably one of the hardest in terms of the contact, the collision that was going on this preseason. It was it was a big moment for him to announce just how ready he was to take up a spot come round one. Um, just going on from that, you mentioned Murata. Man, that, we've commented over the years about what it means for him out on the training paddock, that he literally treats that like the arena on match days at times. A couple of years back when he first joined the club, after training one day, I spoke quickly to Tim Manor and I asked him, why is it that the rest of the team seemed to hit Murata harder in the contact during opposed sessions than anyone else. And he basically said, that's because Murata 
doesn't ease up himself. And if you if you don't put the hit on him, he's just going to smash through the defensive line in uh, the just training sessions. Then that pretty much speaks to what his mindset seems to be. And I thought he kicked it up a notch this week. He's just looked outstanding. The other fellas I want to mention from the last week or so of training are the two big wingers, Fergo and Sivo. Mate, if they are back to their 2019 form, which I think it's fair to say went a long way towards turning Parramatta's horror 2018 season into such a massive turnaround in 2019. If they can if they can recapture that form and it looks like they are aiming towards that during this preseason, that's going to be a big factor in 2021. I think it's fair to say that they both would have been disappointed in their form last year, although they both had some individual moments. It wasn't anywhere near the standards of the previous year. No. And at, and at training this week, well, Sivo, this, this last week, he's been in a mood. And I described a moment at training in the opposed session on Thursday where he found a combination of Tedesco and Blake Ashford in the form of uh, Jordan Rankin. Now, <laughs> all all credit to, to Jordan. He's facing Sivo, who's charging at him, who's already disposed of a couple of other defenders as he's charging at him. But when you're trying to stop him right on the line and he's absolutely rampaging from this, uh, from within the 20. There's only going to be one outcome. It's <laughs> roadkill. Oh, uh-huh. uh, if, if, if people try to visualise a combination of how he dealt with Tedesco and how he dealt with Blake Ashford, it's basically what we saw. And, yeah, there was expletives which we uttered watching it. So... I can imagine what, and we were at the far end of where the action was at. So I can only imagine what it looked like really close up. So, um, yeah, Sivo's been in a mood. Uh, it was it was brutal. And then, of course, Blake Ferguson has just been going from strength to strength during this preseason. And uh, I w- wish I could accurately describe what the sound of his feet hitting the turf when he's rampaging towards the try line. He's so the bloke's fast. There's no there's no doubt about that. But he's got some genuine power. Look, he is known as a big winger, but I don't think people really get a grasp of, of just how powerful he is unless you're up close and you're seeing not just his size, but the way that he carries the ball and the way that when he's got his eyes on the prize, man, he's he'd, he'd have to be near impossible for a lot of the defenders to stop. Mm-hmm. And he certainly made that the case in this last week. He's, he, he looks... He, he's like C, though. They've been, they've been the stars of the last couple of weeks. And 
It's interesting because up till the last few weeks, I probably had East Dunster as my pick of the wingers. But I don't know how Brad Arthur can ignore Sivo and Ferguson now. I mean, it's it's the sort of problem you want to have as a coach. You, you need you know competition for spots. Iron sharpens iron. These guys going up against each other is pushing them to their best, and that's good for the Eels. Look, it is. And I've given Hayes uh, quite a write-up a couple of times during the preseason reports. And as I said, I considered that he was the form winger that was out there. And... I even in a, a team that I a preliminary team that I named when I was asked, okay, let's name you round one team, and I had him in my team, and right at the moment I don't know how you can ignore Ferguson and Mike Sebo. I just don't, mm-hmm. and that's good. And uh, yeah. you know, it's it's all hands on deck here because we're a month from football. Today is the the twelfth. It's Friday, and you know we kick off. Uh, on the on a Friday against the Brisbane Broncos, so you know they, they need these boys firing. Uh, we got a trial next week against the Dragons, which will be streamed. I don't think, as far as we know, attendance is not open to the public with the COVID restrictions, but it will be streamed on uh, NRL.com, if I'm not mistaken, and I believe there might be another platform too, KO, I believe, off the top of my head. So yeah, the the trial start now. The competition for spots is you know red hot. Um, and you want your Fergos and your Sevos, you know, being pushed by your Hayes Dunsters. Because yeah, injuries, you know, rep football, all those things can come into calculation for spots throughout the course of the season. And, you know, hearing that the young guys like Hayes and Oregon are really chomping at the bit, that's good. That's real good. Yeah, and we must be grateful as well for having these live streams of the matches because it's this isn't a case of, oh, hang on, they're having to play these trials behind closed doors. Should we be concerned? It's it's a matter of these particular trials that are going on right now are effectively a lower-grade trial in a way. They're the superstars who played more than a dozen games last year. They aren't expected to... Well, I think it's actually in the regulations now that they're not to play more than one uh, pre-season trial. So you've got you've got a trial like these that will mostly contain um, players who didn't play for one reason or another. They might be up and coming players. They might be players who had injuries last year. Whatever the case may be, but to open that up to the public in a stadium requires a quite a an expensive operation to make it COVID safe for crowds that get up into the thousands and I think when they keep it behind closed doors like this they can keep the numbers very low and it just makes it yeah I mean it's on on the one hand it's frustrating as a hardcore fan but you can't help but understand where the club's coming from and especially the fact that they're going to be live streaming and I will say this my only qualifying for that qualification for that statement is I hope that God is not like the Newcastle Knights Canterbury Cup trial that was live like I quote live streamed uh, last year uh, where we were at the back of the stadium and there was literally a game for ants happening in front of us but assuming that there's I think we're probably going to be looking at something akin to the uh, stream that they uh, live stream they did a couple of years back in the um, 
even though the trial was open to the public, they put on that live stream, and that that was that was a decent coverage. Exactly. Uh, maybe maybe we could have done without the biased commentary <laughs> uh, from from Phil Gould, who then was uh, claiming in that broadcast that he didn't know who Mike Acevo was, even uh, though God. Mike had come from the Panthers. Um, but uh, yeah, so if if we get something in in that standard, I think we'll all be happy. Exactly. And it's just nice to have the football back. You know, we watch a lot of sport over the summer between cricket and tennis. And um, if you're like me and inclined towards American sports, there's NBA and, and NFL and other stuff like that. But there's a itch that just cannot be scratched, and that is rugby league. So good to have the footy back. And yep. speaking yep. of footy, let's keep the ball rolling. Um, let's go into the round one junior rep results. Um, not great, not great reporting to be honest. Uh, the Eels went 0 from three in round one with a couple of, or a couple, three top lo- uh, tough losses. Um, with Tasha Gale first up. Um, now we went on hand to watch the Tasha Gale because they were playing at Leichhardt while we ourselves were at Cabramatta. Um, but they jumped out to an early lead against the West Tigers, um, but were gunned down to lose 22 to 12. Um, for the Eels, Tanisha Pugh and Lorraine Lourmanuve scored, and uh, Summer Terreri was perfect from the kicking tee. But unfortunately, a, a flurry of late tries from the Tigers um, saw them get home over the girls. Now, uh, 60s, you got a report from the ground itself. Um, how, how the Eels account for themselves in the Tasha Gale round one? Yes, I spoke with coach Ryan Walker uh, not long after the game, and he was really encouraged by the performance of the girls because after being down and and having to defend against quite a flow of possession, they put themselves into a, um, I suppose, a winning position about halfway through the second half. They're, uh, they're up 12-10, and unfortunately, just that momentum shifted again. And it, like in any game of rugby league, once you get that momentum shift, trying to get it back, can be a challenge, and unfortunately, the uh, Tigers were able to get three late tries, which gave them that twenty-two to twelve scoreline. But he was really buoyed by how the girls dug in during the periods where they were under immense defensive pressure. He was really buoyed by their attitude at halftime, which was a real "we can do it" attitude, and they certainly showed that they took that into the second half when uh, they came out. And he's, he's got a few things that he'll work on during the week uh, before their, uh, this next clash. And um, we look forward to this. Unfortunately for us, there's, there's two rounds where we get to watch the girls live on the same day as the Harold Matts and the SG Ball. And we're obviously covering uh, the wherever the greater number of matches are. So if we've got two matches at one venue and one at the other, we're always going to cover the two matches. And um, this week, the mats and the ball are at uh, Macquarie Uni and the girls are over at New Era Stadium at, at Cabramatta. And if it was a home match, we'd be out there covering the girls' game as well. But um, we, we, although we can't be there, we're going to wish them well and uh, we'll catch up with Ryan Walker after the game again just to get our a bit of a rundown on how the girls performed. Yeah, when you're a, a small mum-and-pop business like TCT, and I use that very liberally, um, the division of resources is pretty tough. So 
Um, it sucks that we can't cover the girls from week to week, but we are looking forward to the two games, at, uh, two sets of matches at Cabra where it is all three grades. So stay tuned for that. Now, uh, mate, are you? Can I just ask? Are you having a shot at me as pop? Seeing as I just, <laughs> I just well, that'd make me mama. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm happy for either of those labels. <laughs> but yeah, we are. Not me. Uh, we we are you know just a, a small little band of fans doing our thing and and as much as we'd like to be everywhere for every game and including the interstate stuff, <laughs> it's just it's not it's not logistically feasible. So yeah, stay tuned for those big uh, gala days from Cabramatta though because we are looking forward to them. Um, and, yeah. and I should mention our our thanks to all the staff and the players in the junior reps program because. They're on board with the uh, the support and the coverage that we're providing, and uh, it's uh, much appreciated that the uh, coaches have a, a a chat to us about how the how the team's going. And uh, in the case of Ryan Walker, it was it was great that he made himself available. Yeah, for there's a rundown on the game, and, and from from the young and men it, and women in the squads themselves up until the coaches and the the support staff, there are plenty of great people involved in this program, and. The fact that they're, you know, actively aiding uh, TCT's coverage this year means a lot to us, um, and we, yeah. we do sincerely thank everyone involved. And, and we were um, we were blessed last week to uh, now that we're about to have a bit of a chat about the mats and the ball to be out there for the uh, jersey presentation that was made at their captain's run, where um, Murata and Yukore represented the uh, Parramatta Reels NRL and um, uh, presented the jerseys to the uh, young blokes. And it was certainly a privilege for us to be invited out there to not only witness it, but to uh, take a few photos of the event to uh, provide for everyone to uh, check out on the site and and put uh, the uh, faces to the names of the young stars that will be representing the Eels club. 100%, mate. Um, you touched on a theme from the girls' game that it's going to be highly relevant to the Harold Matthews game, and that's the the idea of momentum changing through the course of a match. And unfortunately for the Eels, momentum was shifted heavily late in this game as they were gunned down 22-14 to 14 by the Manly Seagulls. Uh, for the Eels, uh, Don Bestrada scored a fantastic opening try, he was joined by Ethan Sanders early in the second half. Um, Sanders himself was two from two from the kicking tee for try conversions and added a penalty goal to that as well. But one of our cautionary uh, preview uh, sort of storylines for the boys was uh, respecting possession and not turning the ball over cheaply. And that really came back to haunt them on Saturday, didn't it, mate? We have to be honest. The Harold Matz game was ugly when it came to ball retention and completions it it wasn't pretty it wasn't just one team it was both uh the eels and the seagulls that were guilty of i'd have to guess that we know that the Parramatta set completions were down in the heading down towards 50 percent they got them officially billed at 17 of 31 for a 55 percent completion rate which as low as it is honestly feels like it's too high based on what we saw, the boys just struggled to get to their kick consistently. Yeah, and I don't think the Seagulls would have been much better, but when it came to the the last 10 minutes or so of the game, they were better able to control possession and do a bit more, and that became the telling factor in that match. 
Yeah, and it would have been frustrating for the boys because they'd sort of put themselves in a position to, you know, put the game beyond doubt at one point. Um, they were attacking the goal line a couple of chances and just turned the ball over. Um, and then, you know, Manly were very opportunistic, and uh, particularly with their last try, which unfortunately is one for the ages in terms of junior football, where they had a complete breakdown of play on the last tackle and halfway and threw the ball a good you know, 20, 25 metres back into their own uh, half and then managed to turn that into a try, uh, which you know sort of summed up the, the second half of the boys. Um, yeah, it's a learning experience as always. You, you learn plenty from a loss, and the challenge now will be for the boys to turn around and, and adapt from the lessons of that loss and take it into round two. Well, I, I think and there's going to be a similar theme when we talk about the SG ball. Yes. But I really believe that the Parramatta team offered far more as a unit, looked far more... Um, yeah, Manly had a couple of outstanding young prospects. There was a young Hopawati, uh, I think their centre, Felity, who's their captain, and I think their hooker as well were sort of the three live-wise that kept the team uh, very much alive in that contest, and it was the difference in the end when they capitalised on the chances given to them. Yeah. Look, the Earls, I think, when they held onto the ball, were playing with a lot more structure, but you can't you can't say that the better team lost when the better when that particular team turned over the amount of ball that the Eels did. So exactly. it's just going to be a matter of uh, fix the completions and it'll go a long way towards changing the result uh, in this week ahead. And then the conclusion of the football on Saturday at New Era Stadium uh, saw the Eels in the SG ball fall to the Manly Warringah Seagulls 30-20. to uh, Brock Parker got the Eels on the board, uh, followed by Tatona Jr. Wright and Gabriel Kalachi. Josh Chappell was free from free from the kicking tee for try conversions, and like Sanders in the Harold Matthews before him, out of a penalty goal to his efforts. Um, and yeah, once again, a story of squandered opportunities. The Eels were dominant for good runs of this game. They were very good, um, but Manly managed to out-niggle. We, we talked about this, but Manly managed to out-niggle them and just get them off, uh, when I say offside, probably not the right word there, but just out of shape enough um, from their structures to capitalise on it. And this game was also uh, accompanied by some of the worst officiating I've seen ever. Um, I don't say that lightly. It was just some of the worst officiating I've ever seen, including uh, Manly's opening try where uh, the prop four was told to get up and play the ball on the goal line um, because he hadn't scored. And then the process of actually playing the ball and having played the ball... The referee, without consulting Itachi's, awarded the try. Um, yeah, that, that one blew my mind, but that's not an excuse for the errors that uh, dogged the boys. And in this game, they actually completed below 50%, which almost feels like they've got the possession rates and completion rates. Sorry, the possession rate was under 50%. They completed at 59%, so um, not not great. But yeah, um, where do you start for this did, one, mate? I, I, look, I did mention that we were going to be... Um, bringing up a similar theme, talking about the SG ball. We were, again, fortunate as being part of the uh, Friday captain's run with the uh, junior teams. We sat in on the opposition analysis and the uh, the video cut-up that was provided um, by coach Craig Brennan for his charges. And he was pretty spot on with everything that he said would unfold. What how Manly would play, where the opportunities would come against Manly, the niggle, 
how we needed to respond to um, just worrying about our own game rather than being put off our game by what would unfold out on the field. So it was, a, as you mentioned, it was a frustrating game to watch because you could see that there, was, there wasn't anything that was done to stop the niggle and the pedantic look. I, I don't want to get into any any referee bashing because at this level you've got referees that are learning their trade and they're yeah, going as much as I complain about the referee at the start, that's not why they lost the game. They still no, had no, plenty no, of opportunities to win the not. game. Absolutely not. But I, I think in terms of the spectacle there was um there were times where, for example, the play would be pulled up for a player stepping half a half a step off the mark to play the ball after lots of pushing and shoving and niggling in the play of the ball. So the really the the stoppage, the uh, the talk from the referee should have come with a tackle that went on far too long, the pushing and shoving in the tackle that went on far too long, rather than a bloke who struggled against the defence to be able to get to his feet and he takes half a step too far in the referee's mind to, to play the ball. That... that I mean that's that's probably just a, an example of what I thought made the game a, a little bit ugly. There was a couple of key moments that that weren't good in terms of officiating, but this is a learning process. And I noticed the uh, New South Wales Rugby League official going out onto the field and and talking to the referee after a couple <laughs> of key moments. And I think there was a learning process that was going on. But as you say, the again you'd have to say that the you can't say that the better team lost, even though we believed that there were far better structures and shapes that Parramatta were playing with in the SG ball and looked like they should have been the winners all through the game. But if the other team manages to get the win, they're the better team. They've, they've dealt well, that's with all the history books care for, isn't it? Who got the two points at the end of the day? Yeah, and if, if their play is um, accepted by officials, they will play to the whistle. And if you keep playing to the whistle and you follow your instructions for the match, um, then you have to assume that, the, and you achieve the win, you have to assume you deserve the win. So I'll give I'll give the manly side a tip for coming up with the, the type of tactics and the type of play that got them the result on the day. And... Um, for Parramatta, I still think there's a lot of upside about this team because they have, as we saw during the trials, they're, they're well coached. They've got um, good structure about how they play. Um, the forwards lay a good platform. They've got, they've got um, uh, halves that are able to direct them well around the field, follow the coach's instructions. Uh, we just have to... I suppose, see a, a little bit better adherence to, um, I suppose, the game plan this week uh, compared to the to last week. All right, now let's blast through the previews for tomorrow's action in the junior reps. Um, yep. We've got the Tasha Gale where the Eels will be hosting the Knights in New Era at 12.30, and then the Eels and the SG Ball and the Harold Matthews will be making the trip out to Ride to Macquarie University to play the North Sydney Bears. That kicks off at 1 o'clock and three, no, 2.30, respectively, for Harold Matthews and SG Ball. Um, now, according to NSWRL, 
The Eels are unchanged in a couple of these grades, so we'll just go through those team lists quickly. Uh, for the Tasha Gale, you've got Demia Pritchard at fullback, Hannah McFadden and Tamira Liardi on the wings, uh, Talisha Pugh and Jacinta Tui in the centres. In the halves, you've got Lorene Lormanuve and Jada Tuovae uh, at 5'8 and halfback, respectively. Front row reads from left to right, Marfa Fua, a captain, Christian Corfon and Lasalio Sita Payne. Uh, the back row is Lelani Tua, Samaturare on the edges with Ruby John Kennard at lock. And on the interchange bench, you've got Amina Kanj, Catalina Vave, Summer Brown, and Tamani Kolomaka. Rosalia Leah is the shadow bench. So they're playing at, as I said, 12.30. Um, so we're looking forward to the report there. Hope the girls can open their account. Um, and uh, how good was the try that we got to see the highlights? Yeah, that, that was very cool seeing, yeah, seeing the, the girls slice through on the goal line. A bit of a double pump there, I think. Um, so. It was a nice, nice little bit of deception. Sold the play going outside. Took the option itself to um, slice through and 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 score a good individual try. So when you're seeing the these sort of football skills being developed, it's um, it, it's terrific for uh, women's rugby league. And of course, you know all of this sort of stuff builds towards the Eels eventually having an NRLW franchise under their wings too, which is something that I am looking forward to. Yeah, very much so. So moving on to the action from Macquarie University Sports Field, which kicks off at 1 o'clock, as I said before. Uh, in the Herald Change Athens. of times, people need yeah. to know. So yeah. anyone that was planning, I mean, hope this podcast will be out on Friday afternoon, but uh, for those that were attending, there has been a change of times. Um, it's been bumped back to a 1 o'clock kickoff, so make sure you adjust accordingly, otherwise you'll end up there a couple of hours early, <laughs> assuming that you get there, you know, uh, you're planning to get there 20, 30 minutes before the initial kickoff. So um, that brings us to the actual team list. And uh, as I said before, NSWRL uh, seemingly uh, uh, pointing towards an unchanged lineup for the Eels. So let's just go through it quickly. At fullback, Patrick Spence. On the flanks, Suliasi Aho and Josh Lialaoloto. Uh, in the centres, you've got Charlie Geimer and Declan Murray. So that is an unchanged backline. Halves, once more, Terence Lafay and Ethan Sanders. Uh, front row reads as Sam Tuovati, Yeya Ayachi, and Orfagmino. So unchanged front row. In the back row, you've got Dom Destratus and Saxon Pryke on the edges with Miles Martin at lock. So indeed, it is an unchanged 1 to 13, which isn't you know, particularly surprising. Um, on the bench, you've got Blaze Talungi, Jacob John, Joshua Alzahim, and Cooper Sinclair. So the Eels choosing to stick light on the bench once again. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, the extra man is Tyrese Lokeni. So, yeah, what do you think about that bench, mate? They, they are packing light. Um, probably means big minutes from Sam Torvati, Miles Martin, uh, Orfag Mino, and, and probably Jacob John there. I think they're... Um, look, it's it's interesting because it, it does mean those big minutes, as you said. And, look, I think Sam in particular and Miles have got the motor to churn out the extra minutes. It's, I'm not sure what the availability outside of the 17 is for this week. Mm-hmm. I know there was uh, some issues around availability of players, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out, how the bench is used. And um, yeah, it, it, it does mean, it, it, look, it is unusual to carry a winger on the bench. So, um, but we did see a little bit, bit of that with some NRL teams. Uh, during this this past year, so um, yeah, 
look, I think I think the team has the pack, the starting pack that's going to do uh, go a long way towards setting the platform for a, a victory against North Sydney. But it, those completions, mate, uh, doesn't. I don't think it's going to matter who you name if you complete down towards fifty percent. Absolutely, you're, you're yep. going to be pushing shit up a hill to try and win. And it's not to say you can't win, but you're you're literally going for the maximum degree of difficulty if you're doing it that way. Yeah, and if if we felt as frustrated as we were watching the contest, last <laughs> imagine the, the coaching day. staff and the players themselves. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're um, it's it's all in their hands, literally this week. So um, let's uh, let's see those completions pick up. And for the SG Ball, this is the one team that has had a few changes made officially, um, and we'll go through that because there are some encouraging things I think there. Uh, Tyrone Sal once again having the custodial role in the number one uh, on the flanks. You've got Junior Wright and Freeman Forsyth changing the centres as uh, Gabriel Kalache in the number four is joined by Francis Tortino. Um, which means Jock Brazel will bump back to his more traditional position of edge forward, which is positive. In the halves, you've got Josh Chappell and Keelan Bray. Front row has the big hyphen, Jonte Jr., Misa Beffham, um, and Brock Parker, bookending Drew Lloyd. Uh, Jock Brazel, as I said before, is back in the edge. On the other edge is Maximus Tupo. Peter Tateo shifts from edge to lock. Um, he'll also captain the team. That is a move I really like. Um, Peter's a, a player that you want getting involved as much as possible getting him in the middle and letting him um, absolutely level some blokes on both sides of the ball is encouraging. And for those that missed the game, Peter laid on one of the hits of the season. Um, off off a kickoff, he absolutely leveled um, one of the big bookends for Manly in, um, right in front of us. Uh, absolutely textbook big hit. It was... <laughs> the, the, the noise was, you know... Hey, look, kudos to the Manly player who got up. He got up and then had to go yeah. off though. So, <laughs> he, yeah, but to, to get to, to actually get back up, it. yeah, and play the well, we didn't have to play the ball because he lost it, but to get up and take his spot in the defensive line, um, yeah, that was a fair effort. So that's the starting thirteen, um, which I do like the new balance of the team. Uh, on the bench, you're going to have Vlado Yankovic in the fourteen as the utility hooker. Um, he's joined there by Big Larry Moagutia, uh, Kamoi Fekatoa, and Big Dave Langy's back. Um, so that's your starting 17, and Koivi Lamusu will be your uh, shadow, uh, shadow man, 18th man. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this team because I think David Lange brings a lot of juice from the bench. Juice from the bench sorry. Um, I liked what some of the work that Larry Mwagatatia did last week, and I think that with Peter at lock, Jock at edge, um, I think you've got much better balance in the team in terms of getting the right people in the right places to impact the game. Mate, how big a unit is David Lunny? Oh, he is uh, a sizable lad, well built. <laughs> he's um, he's been a, a favor of the blog for a couple of years because he's been one of those real develop. I mean, we, the whole thing is a, a process of development, developing players. But he is like the quintessential developmental prospect, right? Like real raw coming in in the sixteens. Um, spent a bit of time in the uh, was it the daily or the Johns for him? Uh. That would have been the daily, uh, right? The daily, yeah. yeah. So he spent a little bit of time in the daily last year. Um, he he just flashes a lot of athleticism and potential. Um, you know, he he's got that sort of size that you can't coach. He's got that explosiveness, um, and he's looking in great shape this year. So I'm I'm really keen to see him come off the bench and and just sort of you know uh, 
bust skulls and, and tear into the defensive line for 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think that I'd like to put down the last week's uh, lapses as as just that. Like, um, it all came about, I, I still think, because they were just put off their game at key moments and... Uh, first game of the season to cop a, a match like that. I, I've, I've got a lot of faith that these boys are going to bounce back against Norse this week. So um, yeah, I think we've I think we've named a reasonably strong lineup in the SG ball, and um, yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah, real keen for it, and you can catch all the action on TCT from one o'clock. Obviously, we'll be out there at Macquarie Uni covering both grades. Um, so yeah, as always, feel free to drop by and um, have a comment, join the conversation, or you can catch us on Twitter at Eels TCT or any of our, our personal handles. Sixties, um, what are you at these days? Um, well, I, I'd like to think people might come and have a, a bit of a look at the Instagram account. That yeah, we've at got. the Cumberland Throw. Um, on at Instagram. the Cumberland Throw, yeah, sixties at the Cumberland Throw, and um, there's lots of um, yeah. good stuff from you know blog material to crazy uh, memorabilia that's been you know collected by fans across the days and um even the odd meme and, and joke so <laughs> that'd be mate there to... was a there was a special creation of um the king gutho as the last samurai that happened to go up <laughs> yesterday he keeps rocking the top knot so we had to um do something with it so it'll be interesting to see if he um gets the clippers out before round one or he's going to keep rocking the man bun into the season proper yeah let's go let's Let's encourage him to keep up <laughs> the um, the top the top knot for the um, for the season. <laughs> I'm sure he's all about that action too. But yeah, that um that probably brings us to a wrap for another episode of the Tip Sheet. It's been a, a blast. We'd like to thank Greg for joining us once again. Um, you know, having outreach from the PLC like that is always fantastic, and particularly given the uh, the significance of the upcoming election. Um, we'd like to once more encourage everyone that is an eligible voting member to vote, uh, however they may want to vote. Um, but you know, just make sure you do your, you know, what is your your right as a member of the PLC to you know dictate the future of the club. Sixties, mate. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, mate. I enjoyed it. And um, we'll catch everyone in the next episode of the Tip Sheet. But in the meantime, there'll be plenty of action on TCT if you want to stop by and say hello. <laughs>